0: Okay. This is the sex cord stromal tumor podcast. We'll cover some basics of sex cord stromal tumors. This is based on the GCIG consensus review published in 2014 and review key trials and some Q&A case review at the end. Sex cord stromal tumors majoritively present in early stage. Generally, these are considered low-grade tumors. Lymph node metastases are rare. They're kind of known for producing estrogen and androgens and represent about 1% of all ovarian cancer, with granulosa cell cancers being the most common subtype. So dysgerminoma is the most common germ cell tumor, Granulosa cell tumors are the most common sex cord stromal tumor. Age of onset, 50 years on average. The way these like to spread, local, regional, they don't like nodal spread, not typically. Some key mutations just to have in your head when you think about sex cord stromal tumors are FOXL2 for adult granulosa cell tumors, Dicer 1 for Sertoli Leydig tumors, and STK11 for Skittat, which is associated with Poitz Jaegers. STK11 is not mutated in people who do not have Poitz General histopath list fibromas, fibrothicomas, granulosa cell, Sertoli. Leydig, Sertoli-Leydig, and Gynandroblastoma. When evaluating your patient, think about looking for signs of estrogen or androgen excess. Classic clinical appearance, if someone's exaggerating what a clinical appearance would look like, is hirsutism, deepening of the voice, balding, male pattern, Virilization. You can also see precocious puberty in young girls. Another clinical scenario you may pre- be presented with is a woman with an adnexal mass and vaginal bleeding, or complex atypical hyperplasia or endometrial cancer and an adnexal mass has to be in your differential. Some potential tumor markers, in general, for sex cord stromal tumors are inhibin A and B. B is more common for granulosa cell tumors. Estradiol, AMH, testosterone, all can be abnormal in a woman with a sex cord stromal mass. Ultrasound imaging and MRI are preferred. CT is also helpful for detecting metastases. And if you suspect a sex cord stromal tumor preoperatively, Endometrial sampling would be a very good idea so that you can help risk stratify if they also have a concurrent hyperplasia or malignancy in the endometrium. It's also important to know that the frozen section diagnosis isn't very reliable for these tumors. Granulosa cell tumors impact non-white women, obese women, and in some cases, women with family history of breast and ovarian cancer, non-BRCA gene-related. Key buzzword with pathology for granulosa cell tumors, call Exner bodies, usually with the adult subtype only. The juvenile granulosis cell tumor, can have cystic and macro follicular spaces. So histologically, they don't always look the same under the microscope, the juvenile versus adult. IHC will, sh- will show a positive inhibin. You can also test the tumor for FOXL2. And I would also argue that a 4 Testing to rule out small cell carcinoma of the ovary hypercalcemic type is important, particularly in juvenile granulosa cell tumors, because under the microscope, they, they can look very similar. Typically, women present with an ovarian mass over 10 centimeters, abnormal bleeding, they can have nostalgia, precocious puberty, and up to 50% will have CAH or endometrial cancer, uh, pardon. Fifty percent will have CAH, and five to ten percent of those women will have endometrial cancer. If someone's diagnosed with a stage one A granulosa cell tumor, long-term disease-free survival is over ninety percent without chemotherapy. So overall, a good prognosis. Poor prognostic factors: rupture, stage one C, advanced stage at presentation nuclear atypia, or a high mitotic index. Chemo appears to improve outcomes in juvenile cell tumors. The juvenile subtype tends to be more aggressive with a poorer prognosis. You can see higher mitotic rates, greater than 20 per 10 high-powered fields, more frequently stage 1c disease or advanced stage disease. The data are less clear on using chemotherapy for adult granulosa cell tumors. NCCN will advise chemotherapy for stage 2 and greater. You also have the option of chemotherapy versus observation and high risk, which is 1C disease. And chemotherapy can be platinum-based, either BEP or carbotaxol. Alternatives would be EP, or CAP. Granulosa cell tumors are radio responsive. So if you had a pelvic limited advanced stage granulosa cell tumor, you could consider post-op radiotherapy. The overall response rate to BEP chemotherapy for granulosa cell tumors is between 50 and 80%. There is some activity with Lupron, tamoxifen, megase, or a combination of tamoxifen and megase. We also have a phase 2 trial that shows a roughly 20, 20, 16 to 20% overall response rate, and all of these were partial responses, to bevacizumab. Prognosis for, for granulosa cell tumors largely depends on residual disease, stage of diagnosis, stage of disease at diagnosis. Granulosa cell tumors also can relapse much later and require a very long-term follow-up plan. This should include examination and labs every three months for the first two years, every six months for the years three and beyond, or years two and beyond, and then annually after a period of three or four years. Imaging is as indicated. Some other components of sex cord stromal tumors. If someone presents with a fibroma in their adnexa, ascites and a pleural effusion, this is Meigs syndrome. These fibromas tend to be benign and inert. There's also something called pseudomeegs, and that's where someone may have leiomyosarcoma, struma ovarii, a teratoma, or a mucinous cystadenoma that all can act like Meigs syndrome with ascites and an uh, effusion. Another sex cord stromal tumor are thecomas. These can mimic granulosa cell tumors as theca cells can produce estrogen and stimulate the endometrium. So 15% of thecomas will stimulate the endometrium and generate hyperplasia. There can even be endometrial cancer up to 25% of the time. So similar to granulosa cell tumors, if possible, a preoperative endometrial biopsy can be helpful to plan for the OR. Those are thecomas. sertoli Leydig tumors will promote viril- virilization, but not always. 50% of sertoli Leydigs will have a FOXL2 mutation. You also can see DICER1 in sertoli Leydig tumors. They can produce estrogen. They can also produce androgens, and they can produce renin. So you can have signs of hyperestrogen, hyperandrogen, and with renin, you would expect refractory hypertension, hypokalemia. Sertoli can be associated with Poitiers, patients with germline STK11 mutations. It's very rare for sertoli tumors to be outside the ovary at time of diagnosis, around 2% of the time. These tumors can recur early, and a small number can recur after five years. So they really need to be followed for a long time. These tumors can make AFP, but if you check an AFP and it's increased, you should first be thinking about yolk sac or embryonal germ cell tumors, not necessarily sertoli leydig tumors. The only time to consider treating a sertoli leydig tumor other than surgical resection is if it's poorly differentiated, if it contains heterologous elements, or if women present with metastatic disease at the time of their diagnosis. And a refresher for heterologous elements, with sarcomas, a heterologous element is an element you don't find native to the organ, so chondro-lipo-osteo-rhabdo. For sertoli you would simply just determine if there were any heterologous elements found on final path. Sex cord tumors with annual to annular tubules, or scatats, are also a variant of sex cord stromal tumors. And 30% of these will be associated with Poits Jaeger's. Again, patients with a germline STK-11 mutation. Poits Jaegers is an autosomal dominant genetic disorder found on chromosome 19. STK-11 germline mutations, these are inactivation of tumor suppressor genes. You will not find somatic STK11 mutations. Pioitsiegers is associated with Skitat. These can be small, multifocal, and bilateral. They're usually benign. 15% of patients will also have something called adenoma malignum of the cervix. And that's a really difficult diagnosis to make just by pap smears um, or ECC. It can all be normal. You need to have a very low threshold to suspect adenoma malignum and you may even need a excisional biopsy. So if a th- if 30% of skatats are associated with Poitsiegers, 70% of skatats are sporadic. They have characteristic characteristics of granulosa and Sertoli cell tumors. They can be hormonally act- active and make estrogen. They can have elevated inhibin as a marker. They are often unilateral, large, and unlike the poitz jeagers associated schatats, 20% can have metastases at the time of surgery. Okay. Now we will very briefly go through the few key trials and papers for sex cord stromal tumors. The first is a retrospective single single uh, institutional series from MSK by Abu Rustam looking at stage one through three granulosa cell tumors, 70 patients roughly, and noted that at time of recurrence, 15% of those patients recurred in the retroperitoneum. The conclusion, kind of the skinny on this paper, is the authors thought that retroperitoneal lymph node metastases may be underestimated in granulosa cell tumors. Not long after, Jubilee Brown from MD Anderson published a series of over 250 patients, stage 1 through 3 granulosa cell tumors. Half of this group had had surgical staging, and among those patients, half of them had lymph node evaluation. This represented maybe 60 patients. There were no positive lymph nodes found in any of the patients who had lymph nodes removed. Half of the total cohort recurred. 5% or six patients were in the nodes, and three of those six patients actually had had lymph node staging, and those were all negative at diagnosis. So out of 257 patients, there were three node-positive recurrences that had not had a prior lymph node staging. These authors concluded you could omit lymphadenectomy from staging due to the very low yield of positive nodes. There was a prospective trial Dr. Gershenson published on nine patients with sex cord stromal tumors looking at bleomycin etoposide cisplatin. They noted 14 months progression-free survival, 28 months overall survival, and a 14% durable remission rate using BEP. This was a single-arm trial. The authors were a bit disappointed at the overall responses and were looking ahead for platinum taxane-containing regimens and specifically mentioned GOG-115. GOG-115 was a trial looking at women stage 2 through 4 and recurrent sex cord stromal tumors no prior chemo, who had surgery. They were randomized, excuse me, they were given BEP, and the primary outcome was second-look laparoscopy and what the findings were at that time. They enrolled 57 patients. 37% of those patients had negative second-look laparoscopies. 70% of the cohort was disease-free at three years, who had advanced-stage disease, and 50% were disease-free at three years who had recurrent disease at time of enrollment to the trial. What they were able to conclude was that BEP was tolerable and active with six complete response responders with a duration of response of 24 months. But because it was a single-arm trial and a rare disease, They weren't able to conclude much more than that. That was GOG 115, looking at BEP in advanced stage recurrent sex cord stromal tumors. Active and tolerable. Now, Jubilee Brown looked at a retrospective series of patients with sex cord stromal tumors, looking at those who had BEP only, those with taxanes only, and those who received BEP and taxanes. 11 patients received BEP 34 taxanes and 10 BEP and taxanes. Follow up was 87 months. Women who had a new diagnosis of a sex cord stromal tumor, BEP versus taxane showed no difference, signif- no significant difference in response rate, PFS or OS. So new diagnosis of sex cord stromal tumors, BEP or taxane regimen didn't seem to make a difference. Recurrent disease patients who had measurable disease, the response rate to BEP was improved compared with taxanes, 70% versus 40%, but this wasn't statistically significant. Now, remember, we're working with really small numbers in this study. Authors concluded that taxanes are active, might be less toxic than BEP, and platinum and taxanes should be studied in this disease type. Currently enrolling with no results yet is GOG 264. The PI is Dr. Brown. And this is a trial that's phase two randomized, women with sex cord stromal tumors, BEP versus carbotaxol, with primary endpoint of PFS and response rate. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. And the last study, GOG 251. This is by Jubilee Brown. Looking at bevacizumab in recurrent sex cord stromal tumors, phase 2. Women were given 15 mg per kg till progression or toxicity. Primary endpoint was response rate. Response rates showed 17% partial response, 78% stable disease, and no CRs. Duration of response, 18 months. PFS, 9 months. Overall survival not reached. This was 36 patients, roughly 20% response rate to single-agent BEV. There was some hypertension and proteinuria, but no GI, perforations, or fistulas. Concluded from this phase 2 trial, looking at 36 patients with single-agent BEV, it's it's an active agent, could be useful, particularly with a carbotaxel backbone. But obviously, GOG 264 results are still pending so we may see Bev in the future. Mm-hmm. And we'll wrap this up with some case review Q&A. All right, your first case. You have a 24-year-old patient who had ovarian torsion at 30 weeks gestational age. She was taken to the OR emergently. Right ovarian cystectomy was performed and there was rupture noted. The ovary was detorsed and salvaged. Her post-op course was complicated by preterm labor and an urgent C-section. She's doing well now, recovering mild lochia. She's not breastfeeding. The path shows juvenile granulosa cell tumor within her right ovarian cyst. She wants to know what your what her next steps are. So postpartum, unilateral um, ovarian cystectomy, juvenile granulosa cell tumor, ruptured intra-op. Okay, so we're dealing with a sex cord stromal tumor, the most common one, granulosa cell tumor. She needs imaging. We know MRI can be helpful. CT also can be helpful to evaluate her pelvic anatomy and do an evidence of disease scan. You can check tumor markers now that you know your diagnosis, so inhibin A and B, but unlikely to be elevated, but can be a useful uh, surveillance lab. So you know the diagnosis. What do we know about granulosa cell tumors? 50% risk of hyperplasia, 5 to 10% risk of endometrial cancer. So she's going to need a preoperative endometrial biopsy. Is fertility sparing surgery reasonable? It is definitely reasonable to consider by NCCN guidelines, when fertility sparing is desired in a granulosa cell tumor, we know these are generally good prognosis tumors when they're caught early. Um, they do; She will need staging, um, but she could go back for a biopsy, oophorectomy, omentectomy, peritoneal biopsies and a wash. And if you see any suspicious areas, either biopsy or resect them. You can keep the contralateral ovary and tube, and you can keep the uterus. What key path findings uh, are there for granulosa cell tumors? Okay, well, adult type, call exner bodies, these coffee bean nuclei, and Foxl two somatic testing can be helpful. Juvenile, you're not going to see colaxner bodies usually, and remember, big macrofollicular and cystic spaces will be seen. IHC. You should look for inhibin, very sensitive, but it also can be positive in other tumors. And so usually more than one stain is used to sort of exclude differential diagnoses. Positive IHC can be inhibin, alpha-vimentin, calretinin, SMA, S100, keratin, AMH, Desmin. All right, you take the patient back perform laparoscopic, RSO, omentectomy biopsies and a wash. All the path is negative. Her final stage, 1C1. Are you going to treat? And if you do, with what? And once you've done treated, being treated or done deciding that, how are you going to follow up? Okay, so data are sparse, and don't overwhelmingly recommend chemo with 1C disease. By NCCN guidelines, you can observe. You can also offer platinum-containing chemo, BEP, or or carbotaxol. The overall response rate to BEP is reported to be 50 to 80%. And your goal is to reduce her recurrence risk, which, with 1C tumors, there's inconclusive benefit. So you look for prognostic factors, rupture, Nuclear atypia, high mitotic rate, advanced stage. So, in her case, we could easily recommend observation. She's young, she had surgery, she's a true 1C1. We aren't necessarily impacting prognosis with chemo. Now, for surveillance, usually this is exam and tumor markers, Q3 months for the first two years, Q6 months till five years and annually after that. You have to be aware with juvenile type, they can recur early. But in general, you're going to follow your germ cell tumor, your granulocyte cell tumor patients for a long time because of the propensity for late recurrence. And use imaging only when needed. Okay, you may get a picture of a glistening solid cystic tumor. And then a path picture that looks like, I don't know, little rosebuds, follicles with little tumors around them that look like coffee beans. That's a granulosa cell tumor. And when asked which serum inhibin you would check, well, I would check A and B, but I would expect B to be more likely abnormal. If you were asked what the differential for granulosa cell tumors are, what would you say? Okay, well, small cell carcinoma of the ovary hypercalcemic type. There can just be some granulosis cell proliferations in pregnancy that isn't a tumor. Endometrioid carcinoma, a carcinoid tumor. These are all possibilities. Preoperatively, what kind of labs and scans are you going to order? We kind of talked about this. So ultrasound, MRI, inhibin. CBC, CMP, and a pregnancy test, and an endometrial biopsy if you suspect the granulosa cell tumor preoperatively. What if someone presents to you with stage three disease? What would you recommend? They've had surgery. All right, so there's no proven benefit to chemo, but chemo for stage two through four is recommended. So, BEP versus carbotaxol. Taxols are anecdotally active. Remember, we saw that paper from Jubilee Brown, which was retrospective, looking at taxanes. And it's also a component of the BEP regimen. Or, excuse me, Taxol plus BEP can also be used. Which subtypes or morphology have the worst prognosis? As we talked about, juvenile worst prognosis. 1C, also a bad sign with rupture. Advanced stage, mitotic rates over 20 per 10 high-powered fields, and nuclear atypia. Okay, you may get a case where you're looking at a picture, and it's a heavily virilized woman, facial hair, balding, chest hair, and you might be asked how you work her up. Well, if you see that significant amount of virilization, could be PCOS, could be congenital adrenal hyperplasia, could be Cushing's. She could be on a medication that's doing that. A prolactinoma or hyperprolactinemia could possibly do that. But if she's heavily virilized, you'd also be worrying about an ovarian tumor that is causing this virilization, but that's your differential. So you take a good history, get menstrual history, find out if there's any pre existing thyroid problems, known PCOS, known prolactinoma, you know, neurosymptoms. You'd look for all the signs of androgen excess on exam, clitoromegaly, acne, balding. You'd check for a pelvic mass. You'd probably start with an ultrasound in some labs. You'd be looking at the pelvic anatomy. Labs, you check prolactin, thyroid, testosterone. And then to check for Cushing's and congenital adrenal hyperplasia, you would do 17-OHP, DHEAS, and a stim, an ACTH stem test, so into our endocrine world. Your workup, though, does show a large cystic ovarian mass. So then you might want to expand your workup, maybe get an MRI or a CAT scan. Tumor markers inhibin, CA125. Your differential also includes other sex cord stromal tumors, right? Granulosa cell, Sertoli Leydig, Leydig. These can all produce estrogens, androgens. You discuss surgery, minimally invasive versus open. Talk about removing the uh, impacted ovary. Can send it for frozen. Knowing frozen may not be perfect, but if fertility sparing is her goal, you wouldn't take the contralateral ovary or the uterus. You would take the omentum, take some biopsies, not necessarily any nodes unless you know for sure what you're dealing with because you can always go back for the other ovary. You can always go back for the nodes. And if you've gotten preoperative imaging, then you would also use that as part of, part of your guide. Interoperatively, there's a 12-centimeter cyst. You rupture it as it's coming out. There's ascites there. You do send it for frozen, and it's an adult granulosa cell tumor with sarcomatoid features. You stage her with a fertility-preserving approach. And the next question is, do you treat? And with what? And what's the natural course of this disease? adult granulosis cell tumor. So this is high-risk features, ruptured. So you talk about treatment versus not. In this case, maybe you err on the side of treatment. BEP would be your go-to. Could also do carbotaxol. Natural course is Long period of time of surveillance because latent recurrences can occur. Higher risk of relapse in general and an unclear potential benefit to chemotherapy. Three years later, her inhibit marker is rising. She has a 6-centimeter pelvic mass on CT and an isolated 2-centimeter pulmonary lesion. What do you do now? Since you treated her with BEP before, how are you going to treat her? Would you consider VATS? Any role for surgery? Well, you can always consider surgery if it looks resectable. So a thoracic colleague could help you with VATS determination. And if she's a good surgical candidate and it appears resectable, you could work to resect the abdominal disease. Since you've treated her with BEP before, some options would be a retrial with BEP, or carbotaxol. Or, as mentioned in the lecture portion, you can consider CAP or EP or PVB, which is a regimen that sounds familiar because it's from the um, germ cell tumor literature. So, cis vinblastine bleo. Okay, that's all we got.